from Dallas, Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. Man on the Moon. The Watergate Affair, a broad campaign of political espionage and sabotage unparalleled in American history. It seems now that the bloody experience of Vietnam is to end in a state. Walter Cronkite would have turned 93 years old this week. The legendary CBS newsman was born November 4, 1916. He died this past July. Good morning. I'm George Borarki, and this is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. A memorial service for Cronkite at Lincoln Center's Avery Fisher Hall brought out a who's who of journalists and politicians, including President Obama. The simple values Walter Cronkite set out in pursuit of, to seek the truth, to keep us honest, to explore our world the best he could, they are as vital today as they ever were. We are grateful to him for altering and illuminating our time and for the opportunity he gave to us to say that, yes, we too were there. Over the next half hour, we'll be listening to excerpts from a PBS special on Walter Cronkite and talking with two people who were very close to him. They'll be sharing their memories of the man known to the nation as Uncle Walter. He's Cronkite's only son, Walter Leland III. Chip Cronkite is with us this morning. Good morning, Chip. Good morning. Also with us is Sandy Sokolow. He's a former executive producer for CBS Evening News. Hey, Sandy. Hi, hi. Walter, as we said, would have turned 93 years old this week. Did he care much for birthdays, Chip? Well, uh, it's funny you should ask. He cared, uh, it seemed like, more than anything else for his own birthday. Uh, I, I suppose he appreciated other people's birthdays, but his own birthday he really loved. Is that right? How did he like to celebrate? He liked to celebrate uh, with a party at home with uh, a dozen or uh or so uh, good friends. Sandy Socklow was, uh, seemed like always uh, there. Also, Betty Furness, uh, a lady of uh, some renown, was always at, at those parties. Uh, she was Lyndon Johnson's consumer advocate. Sandy, when did you first meet Walter? In the uh, late 50s, when I became a, uh, a writer at CBS News, and Walter was then just emerging. He wasn't the celebrity he's become over the years, He was, but he was emerging, and he, he had important roles on uh, what was then known as the Sunday Ghetto. The Sunday Ghetto was a series of, uh, of very serious documentaries, and, uh, and Walter uh, was featured in those documentaries. Did you two become fast friends? I think that it's fair to say yes, yes, yes. We both came out of the wire services. He had a long career as a wire service uh, a reporter for for United Press, I had uh, just come back from a much shorter career uh, uh, as a wire service reporter in the Far East for something called International News Service. I wanted to get in on the action. Uh, suddenly, I was in the war. Uh, so there was a commonality of, of, uh, of background there, and we became fast friends. 
You said during his memorial service that Walter remained a wire service reporter at heart all throughout his career. I think that's a very fair appraisal of his general attitude towards the business and life. And there's a wire service adage, uh, get it first, but get it right. And he lived by that for most of his professional career. I'm just back from the biggest assignment that any American reporter could have so far in this war, covering the occupation of North Africa by American troops. Sitting there in my uniform, the cameras on and bright lights, I think I felt at the moment like the most important war correspondent in the world. Uh, the film for the newsreels, to think that my family might see me in the newsreels. It was pretty, pretty heady stuff, I'll tell you. Chip, your dad was known as the most trusted man in America. He was also called Uncle Walter. What did he think of those descriptions? I don't uh, know. Uh, we didn't discuss his image at home. I appreciate that he would uh, come home for uh, dinner at night, even if they were going out again uh, afterwards. So we would... Uh, talk about the news of, of the day and, and how he reported it. I want to underline that. He, he felt a huge responsibility of uh, being the most trusted man in America. The media were attacked by Spiru Agnew, then vice president, under, before he went to jail on, under, uh, under President Nixon. It was about a year after the election when Spiro Agnew delivered a speech in which he attacked the, Eastern, the unelected Eastern establishment elite who ran the media. The Eastern establishment comprised basically Walter Cronkite, who was born in St. Joseph, Missouri, went to the University of Texas, Tom Brokaw, who came from North Dakota. The whole idea of an Eastern establishment elite was just nonsense. The American people would rightly not tolerate this concentration of power in government. Is it not fair and relevant to question its concentration in the hands of a tiny, enclosed fraternity of privileged men elected by no one and enjoying a monopoly sanctioned and licensed by government? The views of a majority of this fraternity do not, and I repeat, not represent the views of America. Walter rose to the challenge on the grounds uh, that he expressed very often, if we're not going to defend ourselves, the media, major media, who is? And he grabbed uh, the then uh, producer of the Evening News, a fellow named Don Hewitt, and went to St. Joseph, where he, his birthplace, and assembled a town meeting to discuss the media and the media's role in our society, and thereby defending it. CBS broadcast the town meeting as, as an hour special, it's not reaction to a charge made against us that is the, uh, the question at stake here. It's reaction to an implied threat to freedom of speech in this country. This is the way we viewed it. We're not defending a precious right of our own, of freedom of speech and freedom of press. Uh, what we're defending is the people's right to know. And we have to be in the front line of that battle at all times. It had quite an impact, and of course it drove the White House even crazier and, and more ferocious about CBS. Walter was known for his objectivity. He was mostly calm, cool, and collected. But he spoke out when things meant something to him. He spoke out about Vietnam after going there. He said that this was a fight that was not going to be won. There needed to be negotiations. Report from Vietnam by Walter Cronkite. 
If the communist intention was to take and seize the cities, they came closer here at Way than anywhere else. And now, three weeks after the offensive began, the firing still goes on from here on the new side of the city and across the Perfume River to the old side, the Citadel. It was a tough fight. It was house to house, door to door, room to room. Some background on that uh, on that uh, Vietnam uh, editorial. Uh, apparently, the night before he came back from that last Vietnam trip, he had uh, had dinner with the General Abrams the night before leaving. Apparently, an old friend from World War II, who was about to take over from Westmoreland and to uh, to talk about how the war was going. Colonel, what's our mission? Well, our mission today, sir, is to report down to the site of the ambush, 70 miles south of here an attempt to kill the V.C. that are still in the area. A couple of books uh, recently have uh, talked about Abrams' approach as opposed to Westmoreland's approach as a more a reasonable or more effective one that was uh, paying uh, dividends to us. So that meant that perhaps my father was not saying uh, uh, quit, but reevaluate the war as uh, uh, Abrams was uh, suggesting. Did it bother him, Sandy, that people called him unpatriotic after he did what he did on national television? That's a hard question to answer because he felt he was right and felt very strongly he was right in the face of 200 GIs dying every week. The death toll in Vietnam was huge compared to what we hear about in Afghanistan and and Iraq today. 200 GIs were being killed every week. Whatever price the communists paid for this offensive, the price to the Allied cause was high. For if our intention is to restore normalcy, peace, serenity to this country, the destruction of those qualities in this, the most historical and probably serene of all South Vietnam cities, is obviously a setback. Going back to his attitude about the news in general, about being objective, when he came back from Vietnam from this trip in 68, at first he had no intention of telling what he felt, okay, because he didn't want to soil his objectivity in his own mind. And Dick Salant, then president of CBS News, hearing Walter telling the story about his disillusionment with what was going on in Vietnam, just nagged him into saying he, that he, Walter, owed it to the American people, owed it to the American body politic to express what had happened. CBS scheduled a special, a one-hour special, which is the reason Walter went to Vietnam in the first place. And uh, they decided after endless discussions, first of all, whether to do it or not, and Walter agreed to do it, and secondly, how to frame it. And the way they framed it was at the end of the hour, towards the end of the hour, after a commercial break, Walter came back and said, and I'm paraphrasing now, I'm stepping out of my usual role as a reporter, and I've got some personal thoughts I want to share with you, the audience, and then went into the famous essay in which uh, he said, we've done the honorable thing to the extent uh, we've been able to do it. And... uh, uh, and there's no end in sight, and we've got to we've got to rethink this whole thing. Tonight, back in more familiar surroundings in New York, we'd like to sum up our findings in Vietnam. We have been too often disappointed by the optimism of the American leaders, both in Vietnam and Washington, to have faith any longer in the silver linings they find in the darkest clouds. 
But he was never defensive about it, given the way it was framed and the way it was put together. The nature of the Vietnamese war has changed. It no longer is a series of small engagements fought for local areas against small bands of communists. It no longer is to be fought primarily in the sparsely occupied countryside. It is now more along the classic Western fashion of war. Large armies locked in combat, moving toward a decision on the battlefield. To his last days, he was annoyed when people would refer to his essay on the evening news, where it was never on the evening news, and it just bugged him, really bugged him. You're tuned to Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. I'm George Bodarki. This week, we're remembering Walter Cronkite, who would have turned 93 years old this past Wednesday. With us is Cronkite's son, Chip, and Sandy Sokolow, a longtime friend and colleague of the famed anchorman. Here is a bulletin from CBS News. In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade in downtown Dallas. The first reports say that President Kennedy has been seriously wounded by this shooting. Stay tuned to CBS News for further details. And I'll never forget those words. Three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade today in downtown Dallas. That was Walter Cronkite sharing his memory of the JFK assassination in November of 1963. From Dallas, Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, some 38 minutes ago. Walter broke the news to the nation that President Kennedy was assassinated. He got emotional on the air. What, though, happened when the cameras went off? What was that newsroom like, Sandy, that day? I was on vacation. Were you really? (laughs) I I was in upstate New York uh, having a bucolic vacation with my then wife, and uh, when I heard the news, uh, my memory is late morning uh, that Friday in, in November, um, we uh, we just packed up and drove back to New York, and I went to work. But I didn't get to uh, I didn't get to CBS until that evening. So I'm sorry I, I I wasn't there. Chip, do you remember what it was like when your dad came home? He, he was probably not home for days, right? When you got home in the evening, he was uh, still on the air. Yeah, we were, we were on the well. He wasn't on the air continuously for four days, but mostly it was four days of continuous coverage uh, of uh, the assassination, uh, Oswald the assassin being assassinated, and the funeral. You know, which occupied four very important days. This is the CBS newsroom in New York, from which throughout this day of national mourning, throughout tomorrow and Monday, we will be anchoring the coverage of a nation and a world at morning, and the anchoring the funeral services for the late President John Fitzgerald Kennedy, whose body now lies in repose. Dignitaries in official Washington are now passing to pay last respects. Chip, did you watch your father every night? Yep, yep, I did. And what goes through the mind of Chip Cronkite while he's watching his dad report? Uh, when I was a kid, I would, uh, I would uh, uh, pick it apart and you know find things to complain about over dinner. That's but, interesting, though, to me that you were critical 
of the evening newscast. I tried to be. I, I, I tried to think of something interesting to say at dinner. Did you ever think that you wanted to follow in your father's footsteps? N- no, I always uh, thought that I would uh, try to do something more uh, uh, poetic, which led me to uh, motion pictures, where I uh, worked for a couple of years in production, the 10 years in editing, and then uh, joined uh, uh, Sandy Sokolow and my dad in uh, a series of documentary companies. But your son is in the news business, am I right? My son is in college and uh, studying government and went down to uh, Washington for a semester uh, uh, and ended up uh, somehow in the CBS uh, evening, the CBS News Bureau and uh, loves it. I want to tell a little story out of school. Uh, the young man who's an intern at the CBS News Washington Bureau, I ran into uh, uh, the Washington bureau chief, the current Washington bureau chief, at an event, and um, he told me he had placed the uh, young Walter at a position where he made phone calls, and uh, on, the, on the theory that when he called someone and left a message that Walter Cronkite at CBS News had called, <laughs> the call would be returned. I thought that was a brilliant, brilliant thing to do. <laughs> he says at the CBS bureau, uh, everybody. Uh, uh, likes to a joke about Walter Cronkite working in the bureau, but it's several times a day, and he doesn't understand why they think it's uh, so funny every time. <laughs> well, I think it's... I'm laughing at it, it right is. now. It's, you <laughs> are. But I, I can uh, understand his point. It doesn't seem that funny uh, to me, uh, you know, several times a day. <laughs> Walter Cronkite was known for his coverage of the nation's space program as yeah. well. It really seemed to make him giddy. He loved this. Well, he uh, he was a gadgeteer. He was, a, you know, he was uh, any any new piece of equipment that came along. God knows what he'd be like given the technology today if he were active today. Uh, but anything new, he was the first of any media person I knew, and I knew quite a few. He was into computers when personal computers came out. I mean, he had maybe the first one, maybe a prototype. And IBM even assigned a vice president to be at his beck and call if he had computer problems. He could just call this person who happened to be a lady, I think she was stationed in Atlanta, but ready to come make house calls if necessary. This is part of his his falling in love with the space, the space program. He was really enthusiastic about the whole and, and drove CBS uh, as, uh, into taking the lead in coverage of the space program. And I would guess... I don't know what the ratings were on the night that um, that Apollo 11 went went to the moon in 1969, but I'd wager that uh, hardly anybody watched anything but Walter Cronkite's coverage. I don't know any words for this except the trite ones. Tension is mounting here at Cape Canaveral. We've heard that phrase so many times before, but I don't know any circumstance to which it applies quite like this. Looks like a good flight ball. Go, baby. I loved the story. It was a wonderful story of achievement, man escaping his earthly environment, and everybody at the space center was looking up. They were looking toward the stars rather than looking down with the depressed state of the world affairs. Sandy, what would you say was Walter's biggest journalistic regret, if he had one? I would guess maybe the fact that he couldn't, in spite of several heroic attempts by him and the CBS News management, 
to change the nature of the evening news into a more comprehensive, into a one-hour broadcast, into uh, doing more explaining than we were able to do, and to putting uh, 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 news items into context, which is very difficult to do in the very structured production, which is the evening news. I mean, when he first took over the evening news job, he signed off by saying, uh, those are the headline stories. Be sure to read your paper tomorrow morning to get the details, which drove uh, CBS management crazy on the grounds that he was driving the viewers away from uh, advertising-supported television to newspaper-supported news uh, which they considered a uh, competitor at the time. And um, after much to and fro, his famous tagline, and that's the way it is, was sort of a compromise uh, solution to uh, to that little problem. That's the way it is. And that's the way it is. That's the way it is. And that's the way it is. And that's the way it is. He was also uh, regretful he couldn't get out and cover more stories himself after he became too famous to not make a, a, a fuss in public. That's true, and especially during the political coverage, uh, he uh, uh, he withdrew from coverage because we'd go to events and people would pay more attention to him than to the particular politician who was supposed to be in the spotlight, and so he just withdrew on the grounds that he was a disruption. He wasn't. He wasn't. wasn't just a fly on the wall, which reporters are supposed to be. As a broadcaster, I try to stay away from the word particularly. I don't like saying it. I know for Walter that was February, right? (laughs) Yes, right. (laughs) Listen, before the Internet, you know, before the blogospheres, before Twitter, every year we'd get a rash of complaints, telephone, telegrams, letters from viewers about Walter's pronunciation of the second month of the year. And it got to be such an annoyance that we, every year, towards the end of January, we'd sit him down and rehearse him, maybe for a week before. And finally, we thought he'd get it down. And yeah, we'd go on the air and he'd get it right for one, two, or three days. And then on the fourth day, he'd slip back. And we just gave up. We just gave up. I don't remember him mispronouncing that. You, uh, it could be that that's what made him uh, a success. It it could be uh, that that's... Uh, a distinguishing characteristic, maybe. <laughs> I, I, I never thought of it that way. Who did Walter admire as a journalist? Did he have his people that he looked to for inspiration or people that he looked up to? The fellow that he was really uh, had a great deal of respect for was Harrison Salisbury, uh, who at one time was his boss at UP and later became a very distinguished and important journalist at the New York Times. I saw them together, and he was very respectful towards Harrison Salisbury. Dan Rather replaced Walter as the anchor of the CBS Evening News in 1981. What did Walter think of Dan? He liked Dan. He didn't have any problems with Dan. The news conference announcing Dan as Walter's successor, people forget that news conference happened a year before the actual transfer of power. Uh, Walter was right there at the news conference. This is my last broadcast as the anchorman of the CBS Evening News. For me, it's a moment for which I long have planned, but which nevertheless comes with some sadness. For almost two decades, after all, we've been meeting like this in the evenings, and I'll miss that. But those who have made anything of this departure I'm afraid have made too much. This is but a transition, a passing of the baton. 
a great broadcaster and gentleman, Doug Edwards, preceded me in this job, and another, Dan Rather, will follow. And anyway, the person who sits here is but the most conspicuous member of a superb team of journalists. Writers, reporters, editors, producers, and none of that will change. Furthermore, I'm not even going away. I'll be back from time to time with special news reports and documentaries, and beginning in June, every week, with our science program, Universe. Old anchormen, you see, don't fade away. They just keep coming back for more. And that's the way it is. Friday, March 6th, 1981. I'll be away on assignment, and Dan Rather will be sitting in here for the next few years. It was Walter's decision to step down so he could spend more time sailing, more time with the family. Speaking of sailing, didn't he try to negotiate three months out of the year so he can go sailing? Yes, he stunned management at one point in his career by when his contract was running out by saying he didn't want to raise and pay. That, that's the first thing that stunned them. But he wanted three months off so he could go sailing. In their eyes... Uh, losing Cronkite for three months of the year was a perilous uh, dollar and cents thing in terms of the ero erosion of ratings if he didn't go. And the negotiations went on for weeks, and it was just agonizing, and it really had an impact on the staff because everybody knew this was going on. And a fellow on the evening news staff came in one day, and he says, I have got the solution to this whole dilemma. And, and, and what is his solution? Walter names his boat assignment. So for three months every year, we simply announce at the beginning of the show that Walter is on assignment. Walter was born in Missouri. He was raised in Texas. What did he think, Chip, of New York City? Spent a lot of time here, clearly. They enjoyed uh, it as they had their other uh, places with their uh, their friends, and uh, they partied uh, uh, hard. I guess everybody did. There was a lot of uh, drinking going on. Is that true? There was Mr. certainly Suckler? there was certainly part of the culture. I should a uh, footnote that they lived in Jackson Heights when they first came to New York, and uh, yes, it was a, a hard drinking culture at the time in the business. It was a white man's business. I mean, there were no minorities, there were no women, and uh, and uh, yes, and it was a hard drinking, hard partying. It was part of the culture of being a newsman. Don't forget, this was at the time when television, radio was still dominant. Okay. Uh, it was the dominant news uh, news media. Television was something off there in a corner that nobody quite understood. You'd have to go down to the corner bar if you wanted to see a baseball game. A uh, few people had television sets in their in their homes at the time, and uh, but the, the the newspaper tradition spilled over into the into the uh, the uh, broadcast media of uh, being hard drinking, uh, hard living. Uh, reporters, but it got more and more refined the more and more important it became. But sailing was where he went to clear his head, huh? That was it. He was the uh, captain in, in charge of the boat and the uh, crew, and he took that uh, seriously. Uh, and he, uh, yeah, he enjoyed the, the release of, uh, from the clock and, uh, and from the technology. Uh, he knew how to use a sextant in case the uh, rudimentary uh, electronics of the time uh, went out, and he plotted a course with a, a compass and uh, enjoyed the possibility of uh, being able to turn left instead of uh, right or port instead of starboard, as my mother always reminded him every morning as a joke. Which reminds me of sailing off the coast of Maine one time. I can't resist this story. He goes into heading into some harbor and some chap on the shore waving his hands frantically and shouting, low water, low water. 
and they they proceed into the harbor and the and the boat runs aground okay and uh, betsy uh, walter's wife says walter i mean didn't you hear that guy shouting low water he said i thought he was saying hello walter <laughs> I heard another great story about that as far as your your father's uh, chip, his hearing, and he was somewhere and someone was asking him about Jesus Christ, and he couldn't hear the name, so he was saying something along the lines like, yes, I know him, but not well. Can you share that story? It's <laughs> <laughs> Andy Rooney's uh, story. You know, nice to see you, too. <laughs> Had to be told later that uh, that's, uh, that's who he was uh, talking about. Having dinner with Walter uh, at a public restaurant was quite an event and uh, could be very aggravating uh, because Walter was so good-natured about intrusions. And, of course, uh, the, the more his celebrity grew, the more the intrusions. And people would come over and ask for an autograph or just say how much they admired him. And Walter wouldn't just nod; he would engage the, the, the intruder in this conversation. Or, you know, as where are you from, and and what do you do, and, and and be genuinely interested in people. He was really wide open, unlike some other people in our business. Walter was very, very good natured about that sort of thing. It was uh, interesting to watch him engage each uh, person. At the times also uh, around the dinner table with the old uh, friends listening to these uh, same stories, I, I guess we all listen to our fathers tell the same stories all the time. But he was a, a great uh, storyteller uh, and uh, told long, involved, shaggy dog kind of uh, stories uh, often. And I would listen to the same one, you know, again and again, hundreds of uh, times, seemed like. And uh, each time it was uh, it was uh, kind of interesting, kind of uh, kind of different each time. Chip Cronkite, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you, Sandy Sokolow. Thank you. Thank you. Sandy Sokolow was a good friend and colleague of Walter Cronkite, and Chip is Cronkite's only son. And that's the way it is for Cityscape, Saturday, November seventh, two thousand nine. I'm George Boldarki. My thanks to producer Skylar Srivastava. Have a great weekend. That's a Walter Cronkite. Good night. 